Well, it is Palm Sunday. It is the first day of Holy Week. Our Lenten season messages have been about the events of that week that led up to the time where Jesus went to the cross and then when we find the empty tomb. We've heard how Judas betrayed Jesus. We've learned about Jesus' prayer in the garden while the disciples slept. We heard about Jesus' arrest when he could have saved himself, but he went willingly with the soldiers who came to arrest him. We listened as we heard that Peter denied Jesus after blustering and saying he would never deny his Lord. And we learned about the sham trial that followed. And today is Palm Sunday, the Sunday that commemorates Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem with people waving palm branches. Some of the hymns we sang this morning conjured up that image, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But that's not what the message is about this morning. That's maybe what you'd prefer to hear on Palm Sunday because it's joyful. Jesus riding in, the gentle king, not the warrior king, on a donkey with the crowd saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. But today we're going to talk about the crucifixion because the question that we have to ask each other, the question that should haunt us is how did we go from Hosanna in the highest, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, to crucify him, crucify him. Our text today that Felix read took us on the road from Jerusalem to a hill called Golgotha, outside the city gates, a place where common criminals and insurrectionists were taken for brutal execution. And Jesus fit in the latter category. He was claiming to be a king and threatened the power of the earthly kings, among other things. And so he was crucified there like a common criminal. I'm not going to dwell on the awful details of death by crucifixion. I just don't have the stomach for it. I think we've heard enough about it. I think we understand from even popular movies and things today that we've seen and even some of the videos for song that accomp- songs that accompany Easter, we understand that our Lord suffered and I'm not gonna dwell on the hows and the whys of that. Suffice it to say that crucifixion was the cruelest form of execution. It was designed to inflict pain to cause death to come slowly, and to instill a terrible fear in people who watched so that they would stay in line and behave. The cross, a place where divinity and humanity collided so that we and all of creation could be restored to a right relationship with God. Let's talk first about the human part of that collision between humanity and divinity, the role that people played. First, there was the human government supplied by Rome. It was oppressive. It was brutal. It instilled fear to maintain order. It reinforced power with cruelty, and it forced subjects in occupied lands to do the will of Rome. As Felix read, we 
we heard how a man was pulled from the side of the road to carry Christ's cross, Simon of Cyrene. I'm sure they didn't ask him if he had the time and if he would mind. A Roman soldier said, you, come here, carry this cross, because Jesus had been so brutalized, he couldn't carry it for himself. It was Rome that chose the title, King of the Jews. It was intended to be insulting, and it infuriated the Jewish religious leaders. But the Jewish religious leaders played a role as well. They were the ones who conducted the sham trial and turned Jesus over to Rome for execution. But there were other human beings who took a role that day as Jesus suffered. There were the taunters and the mockers. If we reread a portion of the gospel that Felix read earlier, I'm not going to read lots of it, it said, those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, save yourself, come down from the cross if you are the son of God. The chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. And just to clear up a point, I know many of us are familiar with the fact that there was, in one of the other Gospels, not the one we read today, we hear that one of the criminals mocked him, and the other asked Jesus to remember him when he went to paradise. I can believe that both Gospels can come together and both be correct. I like to think in my heart that that one criminal hurled insults, and then as he watched Jesus dying with such dignity, with grace exuding from him, that that criminal's heart was touched, and that's when he changed his tone. Would that both criminals would have done the same thing. So I don't think you need to find conflict in the version of the crucifixion story that we read today. So human beings, passers-by, Perhaps some who had said, Hosanna, Hosanna, now hurled insults. Religious leaders mocked him and the criminals. The criminals, no better than him in their eyes, mocked him as well. But we should remember there were good people in the story too. Simon of Cyrene. Perhaps he was pressed into service. He was just a disinterested bystander, but perhaps not. If you read Mark's gospel, about the crucifixion, when Mark tells of Simon of Cyrene carrying Jesus' cross, he names Simon's sons, Alexander and Rufus. It says, Simon of Cyrene, father of Alexander and Rufus, which tells us that the gospel writer Mark knew Simon of Cyrene. So that possibly means one of two things. First, that Simon of Cyrene would have been known to the disciples and their followers, and that Simon of Cyrene was walking along the side of the road as Jesus carried his cross because he was a follower who was not so afraid that he ran away. Or it could mean that he was indeed a stranger who was pressed into service to carry the cross, but later came to be known to the disciples because based on that experience, he followed Jesus. There were other good people. If we read John's gospel, 
we find out that not all the disciples departed or stayed away from Golgotha. The beloved disciple, who is strongly believed to have been John, was present with some women that included Mary, the mother of Jesus. We know they didn't stay at a distance to be safe. They stayed close enough to hear his words as Jesus spoke to them from the cross, telling John that Mary was to be his mother and telling Mary that John was to be her son. Even from the cross, in excruciating pain, Jesus was still caring for those he loved. And John was present, the one who had seen Jesus transfigured and present with Moses and Elijah, now saw him transfigured from a beating and a crown of thorns. And Mary, Mary, who said yes to God as a teen when God said, risk it all. Be the mother of Jesus. Even though you are betrothed to Joseph, I call you to do this work for me. And she said yes. And now 33 years later, at the foot of the cross, she watched her beloved son die. And then, of course, in a display of humanity, in a cry, a wretched cry of one in pain, Jesus demonstrated his humanity with those words, those words that we can hardly forget. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, he understands our suffering. He understands our death. But God's will was in the middle of all of this. And we might look at each other and say, how can God have willed this? Well, God used the most evil of human empires as an accomplice to fill his divine plan. We have to recognize that this crucifixion, this walk to the cross, was foreshadowed in Jewish scriptures that were written hundreds of years before Jesus came to us as the God incarnate, Emmanuel. Psalm 22. Isaiah 53 foreshadow his walk to the cross and his suffering. Isaiah 53 is known as is the song of the suffering servant. But I'm going to focus today on Psalm 22, what it told us about a future event that would happen. Verse 1 says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? so far from my cries of anguish. And in an ancient foreshadowing of those words, in Matthew's gospel, we read Jesus. About three in the afternoon, he cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Fulfilling the words of the scripture of Psalm 22. The psalmist who wrote Psalm 22 also described mockers and taunters, just like those who taunted Jesus on the cross. Verse 7 and 8 of Psalm 22 says, All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. 
excuse me, sorry. They assumed rescue meant down from the cross to save himself. Those mockers and those taunters assumed that saving himself is something Jesus should have done if he was really the king of the Jews and the son of God as he claimed to be. But according to God's plan, which they didn't understand, God's plan was fulfilled because he stayed on the cross, not to save himself, but to save us, to save you and to save me. The psalmist described the evil cruelties that mirror what happened to Jesus. Continuing with Psalm 22, verses 16 and 18, parts of those verses say, Dogs surround me, a pack of villain encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. John's telling of the crucifixion story includes this passage, from John 19, verses 23 and 20, uh, to 34, this is what it says. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them with the undergarments remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. And then John says these words. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. So that's what the soldiers did. But we need to understand something about that garment. It said in John's gospel that it was a seamless garment, which is why they couldn't tear it along the seams and share the cloth. And if you go all the way back to the Levitical law and the rules about how they were to craft and create the clothing for Aaron, who was to become the high priest, the undergarment that was to be made for Aaron, the high priest, was to be a seamless garment. And in this scripture, this signals to us that by his death on the cross, Jesus Christ became for us the new high priest of heaven. The high priest that would intercede for us and speak for us, who found a path via the cross for us to walk from being lost to being found. Not like the human high priest who conspired with Rome to have Jesus killed but the fully human and fully divine Savior went to the cross to secure our salvation, to atone for our sin, and to reconcile us for once and for all to our almighty creator. God's plan was to bring us back to himself for once and for all. So why is the crucifixion so hard for us to comprehend? Well, First of all, its sheer brutality haunts us unless we've come thoroughly desensitized to the violence that human beings can do to one another. Sometimes I wonder if that isn't the case for many people. I worry as I 
watch the violent movies that are out there for us to watch and the TV shows and the games that kids play. You know, the bad guys fall down, get shot, they jump up and go on to live life for another day. But that's not how it was for Jesus. And I, I have to, I have to tell you, I, as a pastor, you might find this odd, but I've never watched Mel Gibson's movie, The Passion of the Christ. Everyone says, how can you be a pastor and not have seen that movie? I know what they did to my Lord. I just can't. I just can't watch it. Folks, that's why we're talking about the crucifixion today instead of the palms waving happily. We need to understand what Jesus did for us. We need to understand that he endured that for us, not just so that we could be saved, but so that all of creation could be reconciled to God the way God intended when he first breathed life into Adam. We're reminded by the crucifixion that taunting still happens today. Sometimes leaders ridicule the vulnerable. Sometimes we ridicule the vulnerable. Some religious leaders are known to cast the first stone against the sinner and chase people away from the church while failing to see and acknowledge their own sins. Passersby criticize the homeless, the single parent, or those who look different or talk different. I remember once going to a city commission meeting in Clearwater. It was the strangest thing. During the, uh, the time where citizens could stand up and have three minutes to make a speech about whatever they wanted to talk about, a gentleman who we often feed on Sunday afternoons at the homeless meal, who, who comes to a Peace Memorial to get a homeless meal, stood up and took three minutes to tell the city of Clearwater how they were allowing this homeless meal to be done all the wrong ways because all those homeless people were losers. <laughs> and he was calling them other names as well. And this was somebody who attended the homeless meals to be fed. So kind of like those criminals hurling taunts at Jesus while they hung on crosses on either side of him. I mean, we have the whole gamut in our society today. The Romans mocked, sometimes leaders mock. The religious leaders mock, sometimes our religious leaders Leaders of our church, I don't mean St. Paul. I hope I don't do that, and I, I don't think I've seen Pastor Bob do that. But I know it happens. There are times when religious leaders can be very judgmental in throwing their stones. So maybe that's why we struggle with the crucifixion, because we see a little bit too much of the crowd's actions in our own behavior. But mostly, it's hard to understand why the Father's plan included such suffering for his only beloved son. We want to ask, why God? Why this way? Wasn't there another way? And I imagine God might reply with a sad smile, maybe even with a few tears. I imagine him saying, yes, indeed, there were easier ways.
but you resisted them all because we have. Some who oppose our Christian faith say, why would I want to believe in a God who would do that to his only son? But what they don't understand is in Jesus suffering on the cross, then today we can sit here 2,000 years later, you and me, and we can know that our Lord understands and knows our suffering because he suffered too. Our Lord knows and understands the death that those who don't know him often fear because he suffered our death before that glorious Easter morning of the empty tomb. He didn't have to, he chose to because the relationship between Jesus and us is one that mattered to Jesus. The relationship between God Almighty, Father, Son, and Spirit mattered to God. I call it perfect love because he did it for me and for you, for everyone here today and for everyone who's not here today. God used the cross and the resurrection that followed to fulfill his own divine plan. He even used that gutless wonder Pilate and the Romans who placed a sign saying, King of the Jews over Jesus' head. Think about it. How ironic was that? It was supposed to be taunting. It was supposed to be insulting. This bruised and beaten and bloody figure hanging from a cross, labeled, titled, the King of the Jews. And what they didn't know is that they were right. Jesus is the King of the Jews. Jesus is the King of the Gentiles. Jesus was the King of those Roman oppressors. He is your king. He is my king. He is the king of his church, not our church, his church. He is the king of our society. He is the king of this earth. He is the king of all creation, and he is the king to whom every knee shall bow, and that's why we have to get the crucifixion and understand why it had to be that way. God's plan included the crucifixion, He shared in our death so that we could share in his resurrection. The crucifixion led to the empty tomb. We can't avoid it. The cross is the place where divinity and humanity collided. And the result was never, ever in doubt. And for that, all I can say is thanks be to God. Amen.